0: Hello and welcome to the 16th episode of Inside the Brain Of, where I will interview a movement specialist to get inside their brain and try to understand how they incorporate neurokinetic therapy into their approach to patient or client management. My name is Eric Nelson. I'm a board-certified sports chiropractor and NKT instructor. If you're listening and you're not an NKT provider, hopefully this podcast will give you some insight as to what NKT is and how you can utilize it to help your patients or clients. Now, make sure you check out and you like uh, my Facebook page. If you just do a search of Inside Your Brain, you should be able to find it. And also, these podcasts are available on iTunes. So if you do utilize iTunes and you enjoy the podcast, make sure you write a positive review. Thank you. Uh, I'm very excited about my guest tonight, but before I introduce her, I'd like to talk a little bit about some things on my mind, and one thing that I have been um, thinking about as I prepare to teach my Level 2 class in New Jersey in a couple weeks is I just wanted to talk a little bit about the way NKT is set up as far as our teaching process. Uh, We have three levels of classes. Uh, Currently, we have over 1,500 to 2,000 people that have taken the class uh, since David has uh, been teaching it at this level, which he's been doing for about the past three and a half years or so. So level one, we really focus on teaching you the concepts and the protocols. It's all hands-on, and we teach you how to basically uh, NKT muscle test every muscle, almost every muscle in the body and then we also teach you again the concepts and the protocols to make sure you have a grasp at what you're doing when you go back into your office on monday now a lot of people tend to struggle with these and with these concepts and 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 that's okay we have a good support system out there we have the nkt scholars page which i've talked about before which is a facebook page that's open to uh, students once they have taken level one A lot of people now are finding out about NKT, and they're trying to join the page, uh, but unfortunately, you have to take a class uh, to really become a member of that community. And it's a wonderful community, and it's really the reason I started this podcast as well. Uh, But level one is great, and a lot of people get stuck on it, and uh, I I think for a couple reasons, and and one is that they're just not practicing enough. Uh, When I took level one, I dove head in and just started using it with my patients, and Uh, You know, and eventually and and quickly, I started figuring out what I was doing. So my biggest advice is just start using it as much as you can. Uh, We also have study groups that are available uh, in various locations around the country. Uh, So if you happen to be near one, uh, please attend one of those because that will help as well, being around other people uh, that are in the same situation as you. So again, those are great. We also have Springcast that Perry uh, Nicholson does. Uh, they're a great resource to help you learn how to apply the level one uh, concepts and protocols. And really, after level one, the next thing to do is take level two. But before you do that, you need to certify in level one, and we do actually have a procedure for that. And we require that you submit three case studies, and then you do a either live or on uh, Skype, uh, practical examination, where basically you'll evaluate a patient and you'll demonstrate uh, how you would evaluate them depending on what their condition might be, and then how you would do an NKT evaluation and what your findings are and what you would prescribe for their homework. It's really not so difficult, although a lot of people tend to get a little stressed out about it. But again, it's really something if you just practice the, the the testing and the concepts and the protocols, uh, it's really not that difficult of a thing, and we really want you to uh, pass. And it's actually a very educational experience as well. One more thing that's available to level one is we have uh, videos that David has that David has approved uh, on a Vimeo page. That's a private page. Again, once you take level one, and as a result, that can you can use them to help you. Um, really master or or get a better understanding of these concepts now once you do that and we highly recommend you move on to level two because David realized he can't teach everything in one weekend it's impossible plus it's a good idea to get some repetition in to practice and understand what you're doing and coming up with a concept of where to look for different compensation patterns uh, it's not an easy process but the more you do it the better you'll get so once you, once you feel good and once you get certified, you're ready for level two. Level two is great because it starts to bring a lot of concepts together. I know it answered a lot of my questions that I had, and then it really pointed me into a different direction as far as what to look for in patients. Uh, we talk a lot about the core and the different subsystems of the body. We get into some gait testing and rotational testing and joint compression and functional opposites, and we get into some very exciting subjects, the diaphragm and the pelvic floor. So uh, it's just another hands-on weekend that will help you dive into evaluating your patients from another perspective. It's really phenomenal, and like I said, it really ups your game a lot more. Again, once you complete level two and you're ready to take level three, we do have a certification process that's exactly the same thing. You'll submit three written case studies. Then you'll do a practical examination, either live or via Skype. In fact, I just did someone's level two Skype from Japan the other night. So, we actually now have our first person in Japan is now level two certified. And he's actually getting ready to go to London to take level three. So, level one, again, is the protocols, the concepts, and the application. Level two really takes it to the next level, looking at patterns instead of just muscles. And then level three, That really takes you even to a whole other level as well. And um, it talks about some advanced concepts. Um, We get into evaluating eyes and the hyoid and different breathing and and advanced gait concepts and and just some really good things about um, checking muscles to make sure that you actually have the right relationships and really honing in and getting even better results than you're already getting. So again, there's no rush to take all three levels, but they each build on each other and really open you up to looking at things in a different way that you haven't looked at. Um, Again, I always say this in my classes that I teach is NKT doesn't have the answer for everything or every problem, but it sure does teach you how to identify things and point you in the right direction. Uh, I've taken a couple of classes as a result of this that have given me more confidence in dealing with, uh, diaphragm or breathing issues. And, and recently I took, a, a some a gait class that was absolutely phenomenal, which we'll probably mention in a little while, um, cause my guests took it as well. And again, it's just the NKT is an incredible way of looking at things, but there you have it in a nutshell after level three, there's no more levels, um, you know, we haven't developed any additional things, so it's pretty solid. We wish we could teach you everything in one weekend, uh, but it just it's just not really realistic. Uh, so, again, if you have any questions about the different levels, uh, feel free to um, contact me on Facebook or my email address is CairoRehab at hotmail.com. You can reach out to David or, or, or pretty much any NKT provider that you may know. Uh, they have a lot of uh, answers as well and always like to help people out. And that's one huge thing that I love about this community. Now, going to the next phase of tonight, I I, I just always like to remind everybody the reason why I started this podcast is because we have so many incredible practitioners from all different professions that utilize NKT. And I personally am curious as to how these people incorporate NKT into their approach to patient management. So one day I was thinking about it, and I realized that if I'm curious, I know there's got to be other people who are too, and actually I've received a, a lot of great feedback on each episode, and I look forward to interviewing as many NKT providers as possible. I have a bunch lined up. Uh, next, uh, next week I have one. I'm very excited about uh, interviewing Dr. Michael Hartle, who's a chiropractor and master SFG instructor. Uh, I'm very interested in getting inside his brain, and then I have a couple others lined up as well. If you have any suggestions, feel free to send me a message, or if you're interested in being interviewed, feel free to send me a message too. I'm pretty much open to anything. I see someone post something on on the Scholars page, and I think they're interesting. I put them on my list, and believe me, I have a pretty big list of people um, I've been slowly contacting. Uh, I'm trying to do one every other week, as time permits, uh, but I'm really, really enjoying it, and I will keep doing this as long as I can. Uh, So, again, another reason that I do this podcast is because we do have so many people in the community with so many different backgrounds, and I'm curious as to what these people's stories are, not necessarily exactly just what they do, but, you know, what's their story? Who are these people? And tonight, my guest is an occupational therapist, which I'm very interested in finding more about that profession because uh, I really don't know too much about it. So, in addition, she's a Graston Technique Instructor so I'm sure she'll give us some good information on utilizing instruments in soft tissue treatment. So tonight, I'm very excited to get inside the brain of Lori Hyatt. Hey, Lori, how's it going?
1: Good. How are you doing, Eric?
0: I am doing wonderful today. Uh, well, first, let me just say it was great hanging out with you at Anatomy in Motion. It was a great it class. Uh, yes. A lot of good people, a lot of good food, right? We had some yes. good food. Yes, yeah, a Korean barbecue, right? You had some Korean barbecue, I think, right?
1: I I certainly did. <laughs>
0: Excellent. Yeah, it was good. And and we can't forget Jamie's cookies as well too. I mean that definitely made the whole class, I think. <laughs>
1: That's right. I don't think anybody will ever forget forget her cookies. <laughs> uh,
0: uh, well appar- apparently not. <laughs> apparently not. So all right, well let's dive in and as I just mentioned, um, you know, and I apologize for my ignorance, but I'd like to know exactly what is an occupational therapist?
1: Well, and that's it's a funny question. It's always a hard one that I kind of pause and I don't know how to really explain because occupational really doesn't mean work. Uh, initially, uh, after World War II, occupational therapy was developed to really look at how um, soldiers spent their time that were healing Basically, how people dealt with occupying their time. And there's two main divisions in our field. One is in the psychiatric field and the other one is in what we would call physical disabilities. And when I went to college, we had to do a psychiatric internship, and we had to do a physical disabilities internship. So it's it's, I, I think a unique uh, profession in that psychosocial part is brought into, um, and some people, you know, liked the psychosocial part. Other people thought, oh, I'll never do that, you know. So, um, but we took a lot of courses with physical therapists in college, and but then we had our specialties as far as uh, occupational therapists worked more with uh, specializing in what it took to, to dressing, bathing, grooming, Activities of daily living is kind of our buzzword that maybe defines us. And then how I feel like I differ from a physical therapist is that they really focus on mobility. Like I would never work with somebody who had a total knee to get their mobility back. But I may, in a hospital situation, work with somebody with a total knee to work on how do you put your shoe on? How do you now put your you know your pants on? How do you go from the you know the the toilet to your um, to your chair or whatever the situation is? More pretty much basic activities of daily living. So that is always the realm that I try to address, mm-hmm. um, and some. People have never been asked those questions, you know. So you know, how can you know? <laughs> you put your pants on, okay, you know? Or what can I help you with? Yeah. Um,
0: yeah, you don't. Know occup- about that, you're right.
1: Right. Well, and some occupational therapists are just the most incredible, creative people. They can fix something, and they can come up with. Well, we'll just do it this way. And there's kind of jokes in our profession of you know just put it together with Velcro, you know, because there's always a roll of Velcro around and and we can pretty much fix anything with Velcro is kind of our joke. But unfortunately I'm not those, that creative kind of person. (laughs) Um, And luckily I've always had wonderful uh, OT assistants that just have taken that ball. And I thought, Oh, good thing, you know, but um, so Um, that's kind of occupational therapy in a nutshell but um
0: um, but Uh, is is there I was just going to say is there is there a special school for OT like you have schools or is it part of physical therapy pro I mean I'm like I said I'm I'm not really it
1: is occupied it is an occupational therapy program when I graduated in 1984 uh, which is amazing to me it's like 30 years and i was a i graduated with a bachelor's now it's a, a master's and many go on to get their um their doctorate so i have not gone on to get my masters i've just i i feel like i am a continuing education like junkie and that's my masters someday when i retire i think go. i'll get my master's but <laughs> it hasn't been anything that i've um <laughs> pursued but
0: Excellent. the areas well, that i go ahead i was just going to say well what is your background and why did you choose to become an occupational therapist
1: well and that's kind of funny story too when i was 16 my my mom took me to this grand opening wing of a hospital you know there wasn't much to do i guess in my town so i go to this wing opening and there is an occupational therapy department And I talked to this lady for probably 20 minutes, and from then on, I was going to be an occupational therapist. I never thought twice about it. I never considered anything else. I just thought, that's the neatest thing. And that lady was so nice to me, and off I went on my path, never looking back, which seems now a little ridiculous that I put so little thought and just kind of knew (laughs) that's what I wanted to do. So, (laughs) you know.
0: Excellent. And um, so you graduated in 1984, and then um, what did you do after graduation?
1: Well, I always loved uh, the neuro classes, and I had a fabulous instructor that did what we call another three letter um, therapy, NDT, neurodevelopmental therapy. And I fell in love with that movement and the brain injury rehabilitation and how different. Every patient was, and I always liked figuring out a puzzle and with brain injury, depending on how you know what processes there were were damaged, everybody was completely different and so I spent about seven or eight years working with brain injury patients from coma level uh, to community reentry and we had a wonderful program in Charlotte that served those patients and um, um was real happy to be a part of that um, until I was transferring an agitated patient. He was about 300 pounds, and we both landed on the floor, and I just thought I've got to find something to do when, I, when I'm 50 years old because this I can't do this again. It really scared me, you know, hurting somebody and then, of course, hurting myself and not being able to work. So um, I did what I felt was safe and went into hand therapy and became a certified hand therapist.
0: Hmm. And and yeah, so what kind of conditions do you usually treat with that?
1: With hand therapy, um I I worked in a physician-owned practice for many years and so a lot of uh, fractures, elbow, wrist, um fingers, a lot of tendon repairs, both flexor and extensor. And with that, there's a lot of fabricating of low temperature plastic splints to protect people from moving in certain ranges of motion during certain protocols, very protocol driven very and 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 sometimes I think that certified hand therapists have separated themselves too much um, from the mainstream but when when there is really important tendon repairs, I think it's really, really important to go to a certified hand therapist, but then sometimes I feel like we're so focused on the minutia we forget about the big picture. And so I always we re- I always remember kind of where I came from is I treated this brain injury patient. And I treated the whole body and now I'm staring at a PIP fracture. You know, and it was like, you know, not focusing just on the finger making sure that that finger needs to reach and and both reach down to their toes and reach up to the ceiling and that um, I think that it's real easy to get focused on just the protocol and I tried not to do that but it was hard at times
0: yeah so what did you do like I mean was were you just taking course it was, was there was any courses to take just on the hand or how did your interest peak in looking at the rest of the body
1: well what,
0: what um, I,
1: well I got I was like I said I was kind always curious about um, and never really leaving my NDT roots. I took a course, several courses, through the Institute of Physical Art, which is um, developed by Greg Johnson, who is a PT. And I was lucky enough to for all those courses to be brought to my place of employment. And that was, I think I took four or five courses, and it was developing my skills as a manual therapist, and then developing my skills with um, mobilization, with movement, and just wonderful uh, concepts that he developed many, many years ago. And then I got transferred to a satellite up in the northern part of, of the county, and there really was no industry. There was a lot of golf, and there was a lot of tennis. And so after coming from a lot of uh, traumatic injuries, crush injuries, you know, even de I found myself treating tendonitis. And I thought one day, I'm going to have to get really good at this or I'm going to hate my job. And so that's when I really started looking at things like the SFMA. Um, I looked at... Um, uh, posture restoration-type programs, and I began to look outside of um, just traditional hand therapy classes because there's tons of traditional hand therapy classes. I took an anatomy trains class, and uh, and and actually the reason I took the anatomy trains class is because I found Graston Technique, and they were talking about the anatomy trains, and so I went and took an anatomy trains class, and really kind of got a better understanding of how, even though I'm just working with an elbow, how can I incorporate that with the whole body movement?
0: Excellent. Yeah, and, and how did you find out about the Graston Technique?
1: Well, the Graston Technique came to uh, American Society of Hand Therapy in Charlotte, North Carolina, I think around 2004. And I remember, one, my hands were very much struggling from doing manual therapy for so long. And I looked at the instruments, and I thought, oh, my gosh, that's what I need. I had suffered a a water ski injury that really injured my left hip. And after that, I was really never the same. I went to PT on and off over 10 years, and I was really getting ready to go back to PT Because of a lot of pain and when I saw the instruments I just knew that will do what I need it to do so I think that was in October I was in a class in November Um, I bought the instruments and treated myself Um, I felt like a lot of the areas that I needed treatment were more uh, adductors and I just at that point in my life didn't feel comfortable with my friends treating those areas so (laughs) I treated myself as best I could and really fell in love with the ability to detect soft tissue nuances. And um, I got a call from the president, the owner of the company, and said, you know, we have the Philadelphia Hand Conference and American Society Hand Therapy Conference, and we'd really like you to be with the exhibit with us and demonstrate hmm. how you use the instruments. So... It kind of got to be a big snowball from there, and I think really, truly, the reason I became an instructor, one, my enthusiasm, but two just I think I was the only certified hand therapist at the time <laughs> <laughs> that had the that owned the instruments, and he just felt like um I would lab assist for many, many years mm-hmm. and and still and i still do um and Currently, there is an on-site upper quadrant class. That if there is a need, I will go and and just teach the upper quadrant
0: mm-hmm. course. Um, so. Yeah, I, you know, I remember when I took GRASP, and I think I took it in 2008. There was actually a couple of maybe two hand therapists in my class, and I, I remember them because they were like, "Okay, well, we don't have to take the second day." <laughs>
1: Yeah, and I always struggled program. with that because I always said, you know, tissue is tissue and, you know, and and then as we learned about anatomy trains and it's how all, how it's connected, that yeah. I found that really exciting that you could change a shoulder yeah. when you're working on a hip, so.
0: Exactly. I, I yeah. thought it was odd, exactly. too. <laughs> so. Interesting. So, okay, so you started using um, the and tools and then um, – You know, some people, I know there's a colleague of mine that does, uh, he's a chiropractor, and he works with a lot of lymphedema. So did you do do that at all?
1: Well, what I did, um, I left my um, job as a certified hand therapist and decided to open my own practice. And so really I thought, you know, now I really need to be different because you cannot earn a living as a certified hand therapist, really without being hooked up with a with a hand surgeon, and there uh-huh. wasn't a hand surgeon in my town, so I thought, you know, I have the grafting technique. Um, I went and got the um, SFMA. Uh-huh. The SFMA led me to really be a little bit frustrated about the breathing part because they kind of said, well, you know, you got to make sure the patient. Could take a, a a full diaphragmatic breath at the end of that, and if if they can't, then they don't own that movement. And mm-hmm. so I thought, well, how do people do that? <laughs> you know, and I started <laughs> searching for breathing classes, and there was very very little out there. I found um, uh, the respiration course through Postural Restoration Institute, and actually I just took the home study dvd and and that was very very helpful um and then through uh corrective corrective exercise specialists i found uh the uh restorative breathing lois laney so i didn't make it to her course until just recently but that was always kind of on my list but never really quite (laughs) worked out um and so i had this practice and i just felt like Um, I really I needed to make myself different and incorporate the Graston technique, movement and what I really felt I could help with are the ladies that have mastectomies um, and all the scar and I needed to learn lymphedema and because normally a therapist does lymphedema and then Another therapist works on the physical problems, and they are, there's uh-huh. not a blend between the two. So that's kind of what, how I started and why I did lymphedema, was to be a specialized upper extremity lymphedema therapist. Uh-huh. And so I went and got – you can't really do that without insurance because it's a very lengthy process in the treatment. So I went and got – all the insurances and medicare and um and his life has it um very little is upper extremity it's probably 80 Uh percent lower extremity lymphedema Uh and 20 percent upper extremity lymphedema so um and i don't know how much you know about lymphedema um i knew very little i just knew Uh that the therapist that did it went in a room and they stayed there a really really long time because I see patients for an hour and a half to two hours. And who does that these days, you know? Um, But uh, lymphedema is a chronic swelling. It's not any swelling that will go away with elevation. Uh And it is a holistic-type treatment where you're facilitating healthier lymph nodes and moving uh, fluid from the, the... Congested area to healthier lymph nodes um, in other parts of the body, and the it's the body's just wonderful in that we can open up watersheds and pass fluid to different areas and what's neat is the body learns the body learns, oh, I can use the opposite axillary lymph nodes to help the opposite arm, and it really is amazing. Um, me- it's very mechanical. It's not magical. Um, everybody kind of has to do in in a very light skin massage, and unfortunately, it is a, a lengthy process in 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 today's terms. Like an hour and a half is is a minimum that I would see a patient with lymphedema.
0: Uh-huh. Oh, and that's that's covered by insurance. You said
1: it is covered. Comfort- it is uh, manual lymph drainage. Uh, is covered mm-hmm. as uh, manual therapy nine seven one four zero. OTs yeah. are fortunate that we can charge an hour and a half of man- manual therapy, right. um, and then I and I and we are and we're reimbursed. So um, and some insurance <laughs> do limit it to an hour, and and right. you just kind of have to do what you have to do. You win some and you yeah. lose one. <laughs> you lose some sometimes. Right.
0: Now and you said you do use the Graston instruments with with those treatments,
1: uh, not right. so much on the lower extremity lymphedema, but definitely okay. on the upper extremities, and a lot of the scars, those you know those mastectomy scars, right. the breast reconstruction scars, that type of thing. Really, I feel like they they really shine.
0: Hmm. Yeah, you know what? Actually, I just had a patient yesterday who had um, a mastectomy, and um, she had scars. I didn't realize, but she had, it goes all the way across her chest, um, and she's had the reconstruction. And actually, her this scar, she's been coming to me for a shoulder issue, and we just yesterday explored for the first time her scar um, on, like just on the side of her breast, and that was actually shutting down like three muscles in her shoulder. It was pretty, right. it was pretty interesting. Pretty mm-hmm, interesting mm-hmm. stuff. Mm-hmm. So I had I m I'd imagine with, with those patients, wow, there's just a lot of scar there. And and again, like as you mentioned too, and there's scar tissue under the you know, on the inside from the lymph nodes they took away. So wow. Yeah. Right. That's probably a lot a lot of work, I would imagine. Huh.
1: Well, and, and I think both um, the mastectomy patients and the breast reconstruction patients, they really bring a they're really a different population they've been through so much and they're afraid to move you know um surgeons have said you know uh, haven't said anything about scar mobilization or movement and and i might be the first person that they see four years down the road because now they have lymphedema that has said i've said have you worked on your scars did anybody teach you how to work on your scar and no one has said anything about our mobilization. Wow. And crazy. Yeah, and these people are also told don't lift anything with your arm. Mm. You know, so now they have an entire side of their body they're not even using. And wow. I, to be honest, was terribly overwhelmed at the looking at them and seeing how much work could be done and how much right promise they have to change but i needed the their, the the patient to be as enthusiastic you know because yeah. it, it can well, be very a, very scary for them
0: yeah you know, well this patient i was um with yesterday she had her 17 years ago so yeah she was a little discouraged about her shoulder but i was like really excited <laughs> right We're, right Right. We have all this potential. Let's keep you're doing great. That was awesome. But, um, yeah, right. she, I got her a little fired up. But, you know, let me ask you this, too, because she had mentioned it to me. She's 17 years out, and, I mean, it's been a long time, but she, she'll she probably need another um, breast reconstruction or replacement. Is that something that's common?
1: You know, I don't I don't know about that. That's a good question. I you know, I, I've been doing Lithuina for two years. I don't remember that
0: huh. as You're coming up. Okay. Yeah, yeah just you know, so see that she was like
1: thinking
0: on. she was just thinking, she's like, Yeah, you know, I think I'm gonna have to you know, it's been seventeen years and a lot's changed and I'm gonna have to maybe have them redone and I was like, Oh, huh, well, I I don't know. <laughs> good question.
1: Right. Right.
0: So interesting. But all right, cool. So okay, so you use the Grass and tools for more upper stuff than the lower. Now, one thing we haven't well, two things we haven't got to. But one is where did NKT come in? How did you find out about that?
1: Where did NKT come in? I one day I was looking for some courses and somehow this Primal Movement popped on my screen and I thought, well, that sounds kind of fun. It was in Washington D.C. and it was in a neat place and I. I was able to get a free flight, and so I took this class from this fella I didn't know, Harry Nicholson, and knew nothing about. And so, <laughs> I know, imagine that. And um, I really was in a closet somewhere <laughs> or something, but um, I landed in this class, and I I sat next to this uh, PT, and we were chit-chatting, and his first demo he did I was like, we looked at each other and we thought, what just happened here? And
0: and <laughs>
1: I don't know what's going on anymore. And we both kind of all day long just kind of dropped our jaw at what we saw. And I saw it as absolutely career changing. So I could never go back and look at someone the same. And so I found – I thought, I've got to find out more about this and and found out about NKT and then started following Stop Chasing Pain and found uh, – where would I go to? My first NKT – my NKT one was in Louisville. And uh. so I found myself in Louisville and really just, again, have – Still having a hard time wrapping my mind around, like, wow, this really does work, uh-huh. you know, and just really excited about learning something brand new and really thinking differently. And um, I came, I came home from uh, NKT NKT one, and I had this night. I shouldn't say that's not true, but I shouldn't say not your patient. But I had this very difficult patient that I didn't know what else to do with. Um was really struggling. I had pulled every stop out and he was his he had a just a slight tip amputation to his long finger and so slight that it was it was it was still his long finger. And he was on my doorstep 7.30 in the morning with new orders, and I just thought for sure that the doctor would discharge him and say that's, you know, all I could do. I knew that's what all I could do, but the, I guess the doctor felt like I could do something else. And I was like, okay, Lori, 7.30 in the morning, Monday, just do what you can. And I laid him down. I did the best I could. Of course, I found the typical pronator, pec minor, no lats. And I, I did it probably half wrong, and he, he <laughs> I did some kind of functional exercise afterwards, and he goes, "Now you're talking. Why didn't you do this long time ago?" And he just <laughs> felt like he had this whole different arm. And I thought, "Man, you know that's really ex- exciting, you know." So I was sold and awesome. overwhelmed.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yes, I can imagine. Now quick question because we didn't talk about it too much, but how, what is it, the neurodevelopmental therapy? Uh, what is that all about? Because, I mean, from what it the neurodevelopmental, I mean, that sounds a lot like, you know, Terry's primal movement type of thing. I would, I mean, on the surface, it seems like there would be some, you know, relationship there. Am I thinking about no. it totally different? what?
1: Definitely, um, you know, I think the neurodevelopmental gets more into the, the development of the reflexes. And okay. if a, a brain injury or stroke patient still uh, reflexes can appear with their brain injury and looking at those reflexes and working them out of those reflexes.
0: Uh-huh. Um,
1: also, it works a lot with um, tone, neurological tone and the patterns okay. that um, occur because of flexion tone or denser right. tone, and looking at really using the trunk, the head, um, the speed of movement to facilitate how about that word or inhibit um, mm-hmm. muscles and uh-huh. so uh, in some ways it's similar but also deeper based in right, neurological right. dysfunction
0: now on a similar, vein, just because that piques my interest a little bit, uh, um, you're familiar with DNS? Yes. And, oh. you
1: know, that's kind of on my list, but I don't think I'll get there.
0: <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just curious, because DNS is a, an offshoot of the Voida technique. Right. Um, are, you, are you familiar with the Voida technique I at all? I don't
1: know a lot about that. Mm-mm.
0: Okay, because cause that is along the lines of what you're talking about with the diff- different reflexes. Uh, as far as your, the neurodevelopmental therapy. And he, he worked with similar patients, like stroke patients or brain injury patients, uh, to mm-hmm. develop his technique. Um, so, yeah, there seems to be... So I think, you know, because DNS, like I said, is an offshoot, and that, that would be something that might be up your alley as far as um, mm-hmm. your, your knowledge. So, interesting. Cool. And then recently, which, because, again, I think, <laughs> one thing when I think of OTs, I think of... Um, you know, hand specialists. Uh, Here you are at Anatomy in Motion, uh, which is all a gait uh, workshop. (laughs) So, you know, what what were your, how was your reaction to that and how are you implementing that in? I'm I'm interested to hear.
1: Well, um, now with my lymphedema patients, 80% of them are lower extremities. Some of them are because of a chronic venous insufficiency, Some of them are obesity-related lymphedema. Some of them are more like uterine cancer, uh, and oftentimes they'll have one leg that is affected. Uh, So I have about 80% of my my lymphedema patients are lower extremities. And really, as a private practice owner, I fear not being paid in the future if I don't increase function. In lymphedema, we don't necessarily... A lot of times we do, but we don't necessarily increase function just because we decrease the volume. We can make them feel better, but but they may not move better. And, again, the lymphedema and physical rehab kind of were separated. And so as I saw that I really needed to start making change, and I also looked at these people and thought they can't move, and I don't know how to make them move. I mean, uh-huh this is totally different quality of movement that I've ever seen in my life and how do I help them? Because part of me, my heart goes out to them. They're really an underserved population. People Uh don't know what to do with people that have this chronic swelling and they're almost afraid, you know, to get them moving and make their swelling worse because then, you know, you didn't help at all. So I thought, you know, let me try this anatomy and actually I think I was, Googling gait and movement, and up came this anatomy in motion, and I thought, drats, it's in Europe, you know? And uh, so I emailed Chris, and he said, we think we're going to come to the United States. We're really working on it. So I kind of thought, oh, well, that would be cool. And then as I was on Facebook pages with neurokinetic therapy i saw anatomy motion come up and i was like well that's kind of cool maybe this is really the right thing for me to do and so i went to aim really to help service my lower extremity lymphedema patients but as soon as they got there i really i realized that oh my gosh this will help my hand therapy patients wow. i'll just you know go up the chain and um, you know, luckily, I'm a private practice owner, and I make my own decisions on where I start. You know, so mm-hmm. um, I've been starting at the feet lately, and it's been a lot of fun.
0: So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, how are they, uh, how receptive are the patients when they come in, saying, "Hey, my hands an issue," and you're looking at their feet? How does that work?
1: Well, um, I luckily. I'd say 80% of my hand patients are workman's comp. So they're kind of a captive audience and that they kind of have to be there. So one of my first hand patients that I saw, very common distal radius fracture, pretty unsophisticated person, and thought, you know, I think she's going to have a hard time following these directions. It's not going to be meaningful. I'm going down the same road, and I just looked at her, and I thought, you know, I can stretch you, and I can teach you some exercises, or we can do some really fun movement things that I think will move your hand, help your hand. Give me a minute, and let me look at your feet, and we'll help your feet move. Do you want to do it? And she goes, yeah, let's do that. <laughs> so... Um, she was really wonderful, and I was nervous, and my hand was shaking. I don't even think I, uh-huh. I don't even think I like marked the um, Malayali in the, in the poor man scan, and I kind of muddled through it and thought, just put her in suspension, and
0: I uh. think this
1: is what I should do. And her biggest problem was supination. She had 50 uh. degrees of active supination and painful supination to about 70 degrees. And I just put her in, did the best I could do, and at the end I had her supinate her arm uh, moving forward and, the, and and really stretch and really encourage her to stretch. And at the end she had full supination with no pain. Wow. And I was just like, that's really cool when you don't even know what you're doing. <laughs> you
0: <know? laughs>
1: Imagine how good I'll get someday, you
0: know. Oh my goodness! Exactly. <laughs> so it yeah, is amazing.
1: That
0: was a lot, that was that a lot is, of fun. That is pretty cool. So all right, um, well let's, because um, uh, you know I do want some people to understand how you utilize NKT in your sure. practice. So can you you maybe give me talk about a case and how you incorporate the techniques that you do and some NKT findings, you know, something along that nature.
1: Sure. Um, you know. I would say most of my upper extremity uh, patients I see with level one findings. So I'm not sure I've never not found a pec minor that's not facilitated. I see lats that are inhibited, glutes that are inhibited very, very regularly. And so when I look at people's movement, I really watch for those those linchpins. And I, I'll i usually start with a pec minor and see how that affects the, the shoulder area usually. Um, it's uh, middle trap, lower trap um, inhibited, lats being inhibited um, with glutes, and just trying to look at some core issues that will help the shoulder girdle function better. I'm probably not as good as I should be with the lower extremity, um, with NKT. Um, I just think, you know, in my um, quest for knowledge and time, it's it's easy to go to what's what's safe, and I, yeah, and I feel like I get a huge change in in those areas Um, with my lower extremity lymphedema patients, I'm doing more gait, the level two gait type assessment and, and some of the rotation with them. They can be very difficult to assess due to their size. And mm. I just have to kind of put me first and offer what I can offer them in helping them move. Um, I, what else? I guess i I guess, and you know, I never really looked at the core or the q the the qLs i never I never looked at their function, so I find that fascinating when one QL is uh, facilitated and the other is inhibited, and then sometimes you know uh, the relational inhibition type issues and uh, um, and what's helped me most with that is really take that QL um into the gate and use AIM as my um home exercise program because I feel like what do you do? How do you you know, how do I release the QL? I you know, this isn't an area that I feel like I can really teach very well. And AIM has really helped me pull together the the NKT part with the lower extremities to help me.
0: Definitely. Definitely. Now how maybe one issue that I or one problem that I have trouble treating with a lot of times is is elbows. So you have any advice of things that you you commonly see with elbows?
1: Well, and I have a patient right now, and she came to me at six weeks out, and the orders she had a it's called a like a terrible triangle uh, just a severe elbow fracture had active range of motion orders and I thought oh lord until she was like 10 weeks out and you know all I want to do is get my hands on and try to move things but I couldn't at all and so I thought well this is the perfect application with NKT and I could you know I can work on um, uh, inhibiting the biceps and facilitating the triceps and I found a lot of just functional opposites. So when I looked at active range of motion of um, the forearm, a lot of times we know the pronator is facilitated. So I would do just without doing active range of motion, or passive range, of, or without doing any passive range of motion, I would mobilize the pronator, and then I got more supination. And I think the thing to remember about the elbow is working in all three forearm positions when the elbow is flexed and working in all three forearm positions, pronation, neutral, supination, when the elbow is extended. And so I just went through pretty much a lot of the, the possibilities of movement and tried to do some testing in all those different areas to gain more active range of motion. Um, And had, and actually I, I just started passive with her. She's 10 weeks out and I can say, and I don't want to take credit for it because she had an awesome surgeon and she's an awesome lady, but this is the best elbow uh, post fracture I've ever been involved in. She has, uh, zero degrees extension and 150 degrees flexion, and wow. that's amazing. And I've never, I've never achieved that before. Um, but I also treated awesome. her swelling, and see, I never treated someone's swelling before too. I treat my hand patients that have swelling that's hung around for a long time, like a lymphedema patient, and I bandage them and get rid of their swelling. Mm and um, if you
0: do you well, use do um can, can do you use kinesiology tape at all for lymphedema
1: i do and that has really really helped especially the upper extremity lymphedema patients because they do not like to be bandaged so sometimes mm. my bandage is just the taping um, mm. the lymphedema works be, the the uh, tape works beautifully Or lower extremity, very deep, very congested ankles, and just lifting that fluid. And it's almost kind of fun to just watch the patient's jaw drop drop when you you take their bandage off and they have no ankles and they've had ankles for 20 years, you know, and it's that magic of that tape. So.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I've heard great. I haven't really worked with any lymphedema people, but I've had some people with some swelling and some bruising, and it, it, it works. Pretty amazingly, so yes, awesome. Yes. Well, it sounds like you've got a lot of things coming together. I mean, you had you've had, a, you've had a, a great career, a great evolution, and pretty interesting things. It mm-hmm. seems like a lot of things are falling right into place for you with um with your practice and um so you know and as you mentioned, you're incorporating the AIM stuff. And so, what's next on your list of courses that you're interested in taking?
1: Definitely level three and KT. and I tried to. Put it a priority in my life to get to New York City um, <laughs> end of June, and it it just I didn't know if personally I could do it professionally, my practice, and just energy wise to really put yeah. my head and really focus. So that's definitely my next um, task. And you know, I am I am I am kind of known to retake t- uh, classes. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I feel like I've taken, you know, NKT from Perry in his primal movement or, you know, smatterings of that. And mm-hmm. then I took his taping, and that had some NKT smattered in it. I've taken level one. I've taken level two. And I really am possibly going to take level two again just because that's kind of what I do. I like to kind of hear <laughs> things over and over <laughs>
0: Yeah, nothing wrong with repetition. Believe me, even when I sit, right. I learn right. tremendous amount. It's great. I love it. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. There's always something to pick up, things that you hadn't realized because you were too busy trying to get your head wrapped around one concept. You didn't realize there was like five other things thrown in right there too. <laughs>
1: right, so, yeah. right. And I. there's just so much to learn, and yeah. I know that I just, can't take I used to be really hard on myself, like, oh Lori, you know, you just gotta get this, you miss that. But I learned as I've gotten older is that I just can't take it in all the time and I can't process it. I admire those that can, but that's it's just really hard for me to do. And repetition uh, is really good for me.
0: Yes, I agree. Well that's what I'm right now mulling things in my head how I'm going to incorporate AIN and level three stuff and now I'm getting ready to teach level two so I'm re-looking at all that stuff and that you know the past couple of days I've really been throwing a lot of that into the mix and my right. you know, results even improve and it's like oh my goodness yeah don't forget about that stuff <laughs> yeah so yeah, yeah there's a there's, there's a lot of good stuff out there but I think we're, we are on um on a good page, and we're, we're we're really doing a lot of good work for our patients, and yeah, it's pretty amazing. So, um, awesome. Well, it's been a pleasure speaking with you tonight, and I've learned a lot on multiple things. So, thank you for uh, educating me. I greatly appreciate it. And um, well, hopefully, uh, I'll run into you again in another course somewhere along yeah. the lines. Do you, do you have anything final you'd like to say as we wrap up here?
1: Well, I was just honored that you know you reached out to me and and found interest, and I I just feel very very honored to be part of this community with NKT, and um, I just I'm I'm really excited about being a part of it, and thank
0: you. Yeah, you are very welcome. And again, you know, occupational therapist, grassland instructor, NKT. A- all these things just sound just it's, it's they excite me and i'm I was really interested in hearing your story and I thank you for again sharing that with us tonight and I know a lot of people will get some great information out of what you uh, shared with us tonight, so again. Uh, Lois, thank you very much for joining uh, me here on Episode 16. Uh, upcoming next week, uh, like I mentioned earlier, I'm very excited to interview uh, Dr. Michael Hartle, who is a chiropractor and master uh, strong first master instructor. And I recently saw on his Facebook page that he plays... Uh, football. I <laughs> uh, think it must be semi pro so I'm interested in finding that out. I mean, that seems a little crazy. But, anyways, uh, my schedule coming up, I'll be teaching a level two class in New Jersey in August and level one in September in Detroit. October, I'll be in Arizona and Atlanta. They're excited there. I recently set up a class uh, for some students at New York Chiropractic College in Seneca Falls. That'll be in November. And, um, in New Jersey, I'm putting the final touches on a level one in December. So if you haven't taken those classes, uh, or you'd like to retake it, or if you're thinking about assisting, you know, feel free to contact me and I'll give you some more information on that. Again, as always, your feedback is greatly appreciated. Feel free to send me an email at CairoRehab at Hotmail.com, uh, or connect with me on Facebook. I always like having more friends. Uh, Who doesn't, right? And uh, be sure you like the Inside the Brain Facebook page. And once again, thank you for joining me, and uh, we'll speak to you next time.